Welcome to the Root of Power podcast, where I teach you how to step into your power, find alignment, and create a life that you love using holistic methods, interviews with industry leaders, and inspiring stories from people who know that true freedom is found within. I'm your host and health and wellness bestie, Amanda Chills, and I'm so proud of you for choosing to step into the root of your power. Hello, fam. I hope you are doing well and crushing the things that you would love to be crushing. If you would not mind doing me a huge solid and head on over to Apple Podcast and search The Root of Power Podcast and leave me a review. Tell me how you're liking this episode. You are going to love Aubrey. She is intuitive, she is encouraging, and she is out here changing lives and doing super important things. So head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave me a review, and tell me what you think of Aubrey, because I'm telling y'all, you are going to love her. So let's get ready. And as always, this podcast would not happen without you, and so I appreciate you. Let's get started. Your screen went away. Oh, okay. <laughs> Technical difficulties. All right, y'all. Hello. We are here with Aubrey, who is going to tell you all of the dope things that she is doing right now. Um, she and I used to swim against each other when we were synchronized swimmers and little babies, like a lifetime ago. Um, Seriously. <laughs> it feels like a lifetime. Um, so transitioning from like, you know, elite collegiate athlete to now you do um, triathlons. Sorry. I was like, you do podcasting, which you do that as well. So we'll get there. <laughs> um, so please introduce yourself. Tell us about you. Yeah. So I'm Aubrey and I am a body confidence coach. I'm based out of Bozeman, Montana, where I have resided for about 15 years. I was originally born in Northern California. And yeah, I mean, where do you want me to start? Do you want me to give you the whole rundown or? (laughs) Give me the whole rundown and then we'll spider web out. Okay. Okay, cool. So yeah, like I said, I was born in Northern California and I moved to Montana with my family when I was about 13 years old, just going into eighth grade. And I grew up as a synchronized swimmer. I swam on a very small summer club when I lived in California. And then when we moved to Bozeman, it was um, a much more competitive team. So that was really exciting for me because I had aspirations of going to be a really competitive athlete. I actually had Olympic aspirations for a while in synchronized swimming until I kind of realized that maybe that wasn't my path, but that's kind of a different story. So I moved to Bozeman, swam on that team for several years, and then I actually moved away my senior year of high school to swim on a more competitive team in Colorado, and I lived with a host family that year. And that's kind of I would say that that year is the start of a lot of where I've kind of come to now. So my senior year of high school, while I was living away from home, I 
had some fairly normal body changes. You know, it's people say, you know, when you move away for your freshman year of college, you know, you put on weight or whatever. And that just happened to me a year early because I moved away mm-hmm. from home and was not living with my family. I was in a different environment. And obviously the stress of swimming on a more competitive team, applying for college, trying to figure all that out. It's such a tumultuous time in life. Um, Colorado has great food. Yeah, <laughs> so true. So true. And so, yeah, during that year, my body changed a little bit, which is normal, you know, and I had people make comments to me about it. My family did as well. And that kind of started my journey that started out really healthy, but eventually progressed into a pretty severe eating disorder. So for the remainder of my senior year of high school, I just, you know, tried to eat a little healthier, move a little bit more, all of that. And it stayed really healthy for about a year. Um, But then I, I moved away again to St. Louis, Missouri and swam on a collegiate synchronized swimming team on scholarship, which was an even higher pressure environment. Also just living in a different place. You know, the Midwest is just a different culture than I was used to. I'd always grown up in the West and Mm -hmm. it's just a different lifestyle, different, different values. And I think I had a hard time connecting with people. And so it was kind of a whirlwind of different things that impacted me. And eventually kind of as I felt more out of control and stressed out in my life, my, my eating, my healthy eating, quote unquote, uh, progressed into anorexia. And at the end of my, at the end of that year, when I was swimming, I decided to go back home and transfer back to Montana state university in Bozeman. And I was going to go home and live in a more familiar environment and try and prioritize my recovery, which, you know, you're not ready until you're ready. And I think I was doing it because I knew something was wrong, but I wasn't actually ready to let it go. So I went to therapy and did a lot of work on that for probably two years. And my eating disorder kind of ebbed and flowed. I had periods of time where I was, you know, doing a little bit better and then periods of time where I was doing really, really bad. And it kind of progressed to a point where my therapist was, basically told me you need to get serious about getting better or you're going to have to go to inpatient treatment and you're going to have to go live in a residential facility. And I just wasn't ready to do that. I'm like a pretty stubborn person and I, I really wanted to finish school and I didn't want to take time away from that. So, so her telling me that was kind of the kick in the ass that I needed. And I went into, um, what's called an IOP program, which is an intensive outpatient program. So you do lots of therapy, lot, you work with a nutritionist, you do group therapy, you do the whole thing. And I did that for probably about six months and it really did save my life. Uh, and, you know, coming out the other side of that, I think it's really easy to think, oh, I just went through this huge treatment program and now I'm better. You know, I think it's really easy to just like come out and you're like, well, now I'm better, I'm cured, you know? And yeah. yeah, exactly. So I really felt that and I still was engaging in a lot of the same behaviors that I had engaged in while I had my eating disorder, but I, I was at a normal weight. So it wasn't like people didn't see it as, as a, wow, I cannot talk. People didn't see it 
as it was as big of a deal as right. it, I was, you know, anorexic. So, not, so you were in a space where it wasn't so much an eating disorder, but you had disordered eating. 1000%. Yes. And, and a I, lot of people, that's such a slippery slope. Yes. I think it's a really, really fine line. And the way that we, that the medical profession diagnoses eating disorders is really twisted anyways. So it's kind of hard to know, like, do I have an eating disorder or do I just have disordered eating? You know, I think for me, it was definitely more disordered eating. Like I was for the most part eating enough, um, but I was still exercising a lot. I was still really restricting the food that I was eating and all of that. And so I think it, I really found that there wasn't, despite having gone through an eating disorder recovery, there really wasn't a lot of information out there for me after that. It was yeah. like, okay, but now what? Right? Like, sure. I didn't know how to navigate the pressures of dieting and keeping my body a certain way and having this identity of being an athlete and like what that looked like. And it, it, I think it just got really complicated and that has kind of progressed into the work that I do now with my business, which is I coach and educate individuals on how to have a healthier relationship with food and their body. And a lot of that really comes down to educating people on what is diet culture and what does health mean for you specifically, not what, what is defined as health by society as a whole. Right. So you just launched that, right? It's like a yeah, couple months old. Tell, walk me through it. Tell me about it. Um, it seems like a very natural progression from your experiences into like being able to educate. And tell me about just starting a business. Yeah. Like maybe there's people out there thinking about it. So I think, um, and here's where just think about it when you're thinking about this answer. A lot of people go through things. We all have something that we go through that is valuable. And I think a lot of people are like, I don't have anything special. You know, I haven't gone through a big transformation. I wasn't anorexic. So I don't have anything. I don't have anything I can teach on or coach on or I don't have anything of value. So it makes a lot of sense where you landed. But like, what about the the process? Like the process of starting a business is really like a bullshit filter. Yeah. Like you really have to confront all of the stories that you tell yourself and that you've been told in order to do it. So like, so that's a lot, but you know, start wherever you want and kind of go yeah. through that process. Yeah. So, um, yes to all of that. Um, starting your own business is such a, like, it's like kind of a mind fuck because you're <laughs> like, you're like, know that you're like, I'm called to do something, whatever it may be. Like for me, I think for a long time, I've been really trying to find the thing that I want to do. And I, I've always loved coaching and I've always wanted to educate people. Like for a long time, I thought about going back to school to get my PhD so that I could become a professor and doing something like that. But I also know that I really like working with people in more of a coaching space. I coached after I stopped swimming, I coached synchronized swimming for almost 10 years. I've coached triathletes. I've done a whole bunch of stuff. And I really have kind of honed my practice as a coach and a mentor to people. And I really value my role as that. And so I think that it was kind of a natural progression, like you said, going into this business, because every time I would talk about my experience with my eating disorder and everything I had been through, it was like, 
I could feel people resonating with that story. And it finally clicked for me that, oh, maybe like this is what I need to be doing. I need to be talking more about this because people would hear me talk about it and be like, you're so brave for talking about this. But to me, it never felt brave. It just felt like I was being real and authentic and genuine and telling people my story because I felt that not a lot of people were talking about the things that needed to be talked about. And not for nothing, it is so, it is brave to be authentic. Like, I don't know about you, but I'm one of those people that like, this is it. (laughs) Like, this is you I have different levels. Like, I'm slightly more professional with clients, but like, we sit on telephone poles in my yard. So like, you know, judge how professional (laughs) that is. But like, this is it. And it, I actually find a lot of people because we're conditioned to fit in, like that's the way our brain works. And, you know, humans exist in a tribe and that's very evolutionary. But so many people, it it literally is brave to be authentic. Mm-hmm. And so by being authentic, you also give people permission to be brave and to be authentic. So yeah, it's both. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. So I think that ultimately that is kind of what called me to do the work that I'm doing. And the way it took shape was really, it was kind of unexpected, to be honest with you. So obviously coronavirus like screwed a lot of things up for a lot of people. Um, So I lost both of my jobs when coronavirus hit. And I was kind of like, drawing unemployment and doing some really part time work and kind of like trying to figure out, okay, what now? And I was applying for jobs and doing all this stuff. And then I like really was like, maybe this is the opportunity that I've been waiting for to do something that I want to do and to, you know, make something really meaningful out of all of the experiences that I've had. And so I just, I'm the kind of person that like, if I decide I'm going to do something, I'm like 1000% in and I just like dive head first. So I, I have a lot of mindset stuff around business too. Like I've had a lot of weird ideas in my head. I've had a lot of like, I don't even know how to describe it, but I have a lot of doubts about myself. And I think that, like you said, we're so conditioned to fit in that we have this idea in our heads that one, we can't make money doing the thing that we love, right? Right. We just have to sacrifice that if we want to make money, which is like, I think so just like, which is so untrue. Like that's a bullshit lie, but it's also very cultural. Like I know a lot of people and I have a lot of clients who are like, well, my, I hate my job and it's miserable, but this is what people do. And I'm just like, no, it's not like that's not it doesn't have to be you. If other people accept that, let them die sad. But like it doesn't have to be you. But going it is very against the grain to start your own business, especially to be authentic, to be honest, to have a service like to really be true to your service. It does go against the grain of what people think businesses are, too. They're like businesses, cheap people, blah, blah, blah. And it's like not all of them. Yeah. It's very cultural. Like, yeah, you have to undo a lot of shit. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I've always had, I think I've always had like a little bit of an entrepreneur vein in my body because my parents have 
they've worked for themselves most of their life. So I've, I've seen it in my own life, but I'm not sure I ever really believed that I could do it. But I also think a lot of that had to do with the fact that I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do anyways. Right. So I was kind of just like, Oh, maybe that, Um, oh, maybe that, yeah. that, like, why not? And right. so I, you know, obviously still have my doubts all the time about what I'm doing because it's, I mean, listen, it's fucking scary to start your own business. It's a huge risk. You don't know what you're getting into. And there's a lot of nuance. You have to deal with a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. You have to deal a lot with a lot with your own insecurities about you have to be really willing to face that and work through that. And so one thing that's been really helpful for me is I have been reading a lot of like business mindset books. So I'm, yes. I'm reading, you are a badass at making money. Um, Love Jen Sincero. Yeah. She's Dude. The yeah. She is one of my, if she, listen, if anyone knows Jen Sincero, hook a freaking girl up. Yeah. <laughs> I love her. I know. Love her. Yeah. She's amazing. So, so getting into like manifesting and, I'm very big into that, like law of attraction, manifesting what you think you become, like if you think it and believe it, you can achieve it. All of those things like it really it's just a different way to learn to think like we learn one way as children. And then when you're aware of what you're thinking and how it affects you, you can always just change your mind. Yeah, it's that simple. It's not easy, but it is that simple. You can just decide to change that. Yeah. 100%. And I think that one, one thing that was like really big for me is um, I definitely think that I've always had a little bit of a scarcity mindset around money. Um, Very normal. Yeah. And I think it is very normal in our society. And, you know, I'm not, I don't know that it came from my raising or anything like that. I think it's just kind of a, a culmination of a lot of different things. Right. And so I made the decision to like, change that and I read the I've read the I'm reading it for the second time right now well the third time but the second time in the past like three months so it's <laughs> um, worth getting that because I haven't read it yet but it's amazing I I'll would put it on my Amazon. yeah and so I'm reading that book uh I hired a, two business coaches and hey, you. what I said look at you dude hell yeah <laughs> yeah which was a huge decision but I felt that in order to do this really well and to do it in a way that I felt supported Mm -hmm. and felt like I had guidance and maybe not even guidance, but just someone telling me like you're doing the right things rather than me just getting wrapped up in my own head about it was like so, so valuable. So I just made the decision to make some big investments in my business and just trust that it was going, the, the universe was going to show me the way, awesome. what I need to do, which awesome. is like, sounds so freaking woo woo, but whatever, I'm here for it. <laughs> like the biggest difference, and this is something I see a lot in my private practice clients. Once people start trusting themselves, doors open for them. Like yeah. I have a client who was very negative mindset. Everybody hates their job. Everybody's miserable, blah, 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 blah. She started really saying, you know what? I deserve to be happy. I deserve to have a job that I like. And I like hand to God, a job opened up for her. A friend was like, Hey, I need help at, you know, our office, like, can you help out? She freaking loves it. And I was like, that's not a coincidence. 
Yeah. Like, you decide that you deserve more and the universe is like, thank God, dude, I've been waiting on you. Yeah. So woo woo, whatever people can, I don't give a shit what people call it. It's real people. Yeah. It's real. But I yeah. Know. So I also love that because I think hiring a coach is a very abundance mindset thing. Like you are trusting in yourself enough and you have enough knowledge to say like, there's things I know and there's things I don't know. And if I want to get better faster, hire somebody. Yes. It's so normal for athletes. And I feel like a lot of business people are like, Oh, I don't need a coach. What? Yeah. What do you mean? They know what you don't know and they can teach you. Yes. Hire them. (laughs) So 100% same thing with a body confidence coach, right? Like you can spend, God, how many people probably have come to you and they have spent years researching, hiring people who are not authentic, who sell them bullshit programs. There's a lot of people out there that do that. And instead they, they find a coach they're aligned with and it's, it just, it's so much easier. Yeah. And I think, yeah, you, you made such a good point. You know, it's like, it's hard because I actually had one of the girls who's in my course right now. And I'm actually in the process of um, having people apply and giving discovery calls to people who are interested in the second round of my course, which is very Oh yes. Like super excited. Yes. So <laughs> for you. Yeah. But I actually had a girl who's in my course right now that when we were chatting on our discovery call before she committed to the course, she mm-hmm. was like, I just need to know that this isn't like another diet. Like I, she, and she's like, I just, because you're told like you look for these solutions for your whole life right? and someone comes along and they're saying all these things that you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, no, this is what I want. This is what I've been looking for. But it's like, how do you know that it's just not right. another bullshit thing that's going to be like, you have to eat this way to feel good about yourself. Right. right. So it's, I think that having that trust is really important, but it's also really important to be ready have that change because it is scary yeah like it just is I letting go of that control of food and exercise and what your body is supposed to look like supposed to I say (laughs) right gross Um, quotes y'all yeah um I think letting go of that control can be really really scary for a lot of people and so many people adopt it as their identity Mm -hmm. like that is who they are. They're the healthy one. They're the, my, my is a little different. They're the depressed one. They're the anxious one. They're the one with the trauma. They're the broken one. And I'm just like, Oh, like I want to wrap you in a burrito blanket and be like, no, this is not you. Like people, something I say a lot is like the life that you want is expensive. Meaning it's going to cost you the life that you're living now. Yeah. But that's so, it's so worth it. Like, please murder the life that you have now so you can have the life that you want. Like, you're going to have to kill yourself, not like literally suicide people. I do not recommend that. But like figuratively, you do have to end the life that you're living, but you're not happy anyway. So it's a a pretty fair trade, I think. I would agree with that 100%. I think it is, like you said, you adopt it as a part of your identity. And like, that also is something that I personally have been struggling with in my own life is my identity as an athlete, which this year, 
this year a lot of things have shifted for me because of just ah. everything that's happening in the world. Um, yes. All of the races that I usually do were canceled. And I mean, that is what it is. And I think it's been really interesting for me to kind of reassess why I do, why I am an athlete. Why do I race triathlon? Do I actually like it? Like, what is my motivation behind this? Because I think that that growth, like I'm living for it. Yeah. And it's scary. It is scary because to most people, I am the triathlete. Like I am the elite athlete. And I'm not saying I'm not going to be an athlete anymore because it is something that I fundamentally enjoy is like, challenging myself and doing new things that are exciting and scary and all of that. But I think that I really started to pigeonhole myself into this one sport and I started to miss out on a lot of other things. And for what, like, was it actually still making me really happy in some ways? Yes. But I do think that I also just got a little bit stuck. Sure. How did you get into um, triathletes? So, like, for people that don't know, you have, okay, I don't really know a lot about triathlete world, but I know that you have, like, sponsors and, which is its own business anyway, so you kind of had practice building a brand because you are the brand. Um, How did you get into triathletes? Yeah, so, yeah, so I started racing triathlon right after I right after I recovered from my eating disorder. So it was kind of like really fresh out of that, trying to kind of, I like dabbled in a few other sports cause I let go of swimming and I was kind of feeling a little lost. Like mm-hmm. I tried some other things and they never really resonated with me in the right ways. So I signed up for a triathlon because my friend signed up for one and she was someone who I had always really looked up to. And I was like, this seems like a really cool thing to do. Yeah. Um, and so I I just went for it and I just signed up for one and I was like, here we go. <laughs> um, Love it. Yeah. And it was, I did it and I loved it. And so I just kind of kept doing them and I just kept getting better and I was performing at a really high level pretty early on, which is really exciting for me. And yeah, so it, it, became a really huge part of my life, obviously. And I decided I wanted to pursue going pro, which is a huge, huge undertaking. Um, You you have to place top three overall at a big race, which is like really difficult because there's usually, you know, women, there's usually like 600 plus women racing. So it's like, yeah. You have to, you have to really perform. You have to be really fucking good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I know I'm totally capable of doing that, but at the same time, it's kind of like, I think at least for the past two years, I was so committed to making this happen that I really kind of almost made myself miserable trying to make it happen. And yeah. just like, I was not, I was sacrificing a lot of other things like just trying new things or going to social gatherings because it's like, Oh no, I have to be up early to train tomorrow or whatever, whatever. And, and then when I wouldn't perform the way that I wanted to at races, I was just like beating the crap out of myself about it. Like, you know, just having a total like 
you know, pity party for myself. If you suck party, basically. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think that having some space from that really made me realize what a toll it was taking on me mentally and what sacrifices I was making for it. And yeah, it was just, it's been a weird, it's been a weird thing to kind of process through and, you know, like, what does my life look like if I don't have a sport that I'm doing, you know, for the purpose of being the best? Yeah. Yeah. But I I was just going to say, I think it'll give me more space to really enjoy the things that I do. Yeah. And I think things happen for a season, you know, like, when you mentioned earlier that you were like kind of lost without swimming, like I felt the same way for like three years, I think like years. I was like, what the hell? And I think any athlete, especially like a collegiate athlete, because that's your life, that's your job. Transitioning out of that is so strange. Um, but I really think, and this is something I think you've said it kind of alluded to a couple times is what a gift the stillness of coronavirus has been. So like, I don't want to discount the grief and the pain and people who have died and facing evictions and all of those things. And for a lot of people, I think coronavirus and the stillness and having to shut things down and forcing people to go internal has really been a gift. 1000%. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's really, yeah, it's really interesting because I've started trying new things and it's been awesome. And I've like done all this really, really cool shit that I like never in a million years would have thought that oh I would like what? Um, okay. So for example, starting a business, dude. Starting a business was a huge one. Was a huge one. And it's been it's been amazing. Like my business has been amazing. It's been oh. like working with people in the capacity that I'm working with them is like amazing and it feels really right and aligned. So it's been really exciting. I'm like Um, screaming internally right now. I don't want to scream on the podcast, but like internally I'm screaming. Yeah. It's uh, it's been great. And you know, obviously, like I said, I still have my moments where I'm like, Oh shit, what am I doing? You know, I think we all have that no matter what we're doing, even if we're in like a stable job with a salary, like every once in a while, we're like, Oh God, what am I doing? You don't have it. It's time to grow. Yeah. Like if you're, that means you're going in the right direction. If you're not having those oh shit moments, you're too comfortable. Like stretch people, stretch. Um, you're also, you mentioned starting a podcast. Yes. Tell me about it. Podcasts are dope. Yeah. So I'm starting a podcast with my friend, Julia Burnham, and she was a former competitive Nordic skier. And now is just like a, yeah, now she's just like a super rad mountain athlete that lives here in Bozeman. And she and I talked a lot about kind of our struggles with body image and all of that, especially being in the athletic world. And so we're starting a podcast called Bodies in Motion. And (laughs) it's such a good name. Thanks. Yeah. So we're basically going to be interviewing athletes from different sports, different ages, different genders, and kind of just exploring this idea of how does athletics impact the way we view our bodies and our worth. And I think that 
it's going to be really awesome. And we've recorded a few episodes, but we're still getting our website built. And so awesome. So when you're, um, I will send you a link after I ask my, my cousin. So my cousin, Sarah waitlist for the UK, like, cool. dude, she's fucking amazing. So I interviewed her whenever I can't place things in a timeline. So at some point in the past, I interviewed her. Um, she may be a good one. Well, she's a great one to talk to. She's funny as hell. She's like Miss Continental UK, waitlist for Great Britain. Like she is amazeballs. So I will like ask her and then send you her information. I'm sure she'll say yes. She's wonderful. Yeah. Um, and she'll have, you know, cause she's collected to the like Olympic athlete weightlifting world. So yeah. maybe there'll be other people who want to talk to you about it. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I mean, we're always looking for new more diverse voices to talk to. So I would love that. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of another, another thing that I'm working on and it's been really exciting. And we're, I think we're hoping to launch our podcast this month at some point. We're just trying to finish. Yeah. We're trying to finish our website and then just get up and rolling. Um, that. And then, um, yeah, I've just been like mountain biking a lot more and doing more like adventurous, like, adventurous activities like uh over the weekend my my friend jen and i we mountain biked like (laughs) up 12 miles and then we summited a peak and then we mountain biked back and it was it was just really cool and like just doing shit that i never thought i would be doing business and physically and all, all the things that is so freaking cool yeah it's i love so you are doing business podcasts. You got engaged recently, right? Yeah. <laughs> How engaged life? Oh, it's good. It's not that much different than before. Um, <laughs> you know, people, I, I, don't, I think, I mean, for me, it's, it's very symbolic and very exciting. Um, my fiance and I have been together for the better part of five years now. So it was kind of a long time coming, but um, it was great. We got engaged in the mountains where we love to be together and it was just really perfect. So. Love it. Yeah. It seems like things have really just kind of like fallen into place. Like they seem to just flow and it's like, ah, this is the next thing. And this is the next incarnation. And this is the next incarnation. How did you get into that space? Like, because it feels very different when you're in that space and things are flowing and they feel very aligned versus when you're pushing. Like, did you have a time where you just felt like you were pushing and it wasn't like it wasn't right? And then transitioning into like the flow state. Can you you discuss? Yeah, that's a really great question because you're very right. And I think that. Oh man, the last, the last time I definitely felt that way was kind of what I was talking about earlier with, with my racing, which was like, I was just pushing and pushing and like trying to force it to happen, you know, and in a way that didn't feel, it didn't feel aligned. It didn't feel like I was, like you said, in that flow state, it was very forced. And as a consequence of that, when things don't go the way you want them to go, you are really, really hard on yourself about it. Yeah. And it just feels terrible. And you're just like, so mean to yourself about it. And it's so hard. And I think now 
yeah, things are really falling into place. And I have done a lot of searching around what changed. And I really believe that a lot of this came down to trusting myself, like trusting. And it all comes back to like the work. Yeah. And it all comes back to the work that I'm doing with my clients right now too, which is like when we're in this space where we don't trust our bodies, we don't trust ourselves to make decisions around food because we don't think we can trust ourselves around that. Like if you can't trust yourself to make a fundamental decision around what foods you're going to eat or like how you're going to treat your body, then how the hell are you going to make a decision? Trust yourself to make a decision about your business or your partner or, Oh my God. Screaming internally again, (laughs) screaming, like (laughs) fucking screaming right now. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm overloading. Yes. (laughs) Like trusting your intuition. And that's a lot of people end up to me where they have, they're completely detached from their bodies. First of all, they don't feel emotions. They can't identify them. They, I think of emotions as like a dead body. Um, it gets the point across, like you have to bury it appropriately for it to no longer bother you. But if you, if you don't bury it right, it just keeps coming up. And then you have all these dead bodies following you around and people are like, what the fuck, man, you have like 40 dead bodies. And you're like, I don't know why they keep coming up. And it's because you don't, you don't deal with them appropriately. Yes. So there was somewhere I was going with that. So emotions, intuition, like being disconnected from your body is a symptom of trauma. And if, you know, trauma being defined as like anything that overwhelms your ability to cope. So if being bullied, being shamed, growing up in a patriarchal misogynistic society like where you're never good enough you'll never be the ideal it's not realistic like not having your needs met all of those things disconnect you so hard and so people often search for answers outside of themselves and I did an Instagram post about this this morning or again timeline at some point I thought about it um and I said this to a client yesterday like healing is coming home to yourself yeah, that's what it is. The people you work with, the people I work with, they already know what the answers are. I can't tell them because I'm not them. You're not them. So yeah. they come to you to help guide them. So it's kind of like the way I think about it is you're like a guide in a forest. You're also human and have flaws and you're doing the best that you can. You just happen to have walked this path in the path in the forest before. So you know where there's um a an anthill pile, you know where there's a bear, you know where there's fallen logs, you know where the path is easy. Not because you are an expert, simply because you know the forest better. Yeah. And over time, you teach them to guide themselves. How do you look for signs that there was an anthill here or a bear or you like tuning into your intuition and yourself is a skill that so many people are not taught. So like, Yes, I love love that you're doing this Yeah, because you're right. Like they they know people know what's best for them. They're taught to ignore it or they were never taught to tap into it. Mm -hmm. But they know like they know what feels good and what doesn't. But learning to trust it. And it sounds like you start with really small decisions like what do you want to eat? 
yeah. which is really funny because I start with the same decisions. What do you want to eat? Do you want to schedule it four or five o'clock? Yeah. Um, it's so, so simple. And then those lead up to, do I like this partner? Do I like my job? Where do I want to live? Um, yeah. What does being home in my body feel like? Yeah. Yeah, we do a lot of, yeah, like you said, really small decisions and a lot of like observation of mm-hmm. like, I have my clients meditate. I have them do things like that, even just for like five minutes, like super short. Because meditating is hard and like doing it for more than five minutes when you're first starting feels like a lot. And our society gets such a hard time just like chilling the fuck out. And so like five minutes is a lot, a lot of times feels like even too much for people. So um, yeah, having them like meditate, but have an intention with their meditation of, okay, like meditating before you eat a meal. So you just sit down and you meditate for five minutes and you think about what sounds good to me. How hungry am I? Like then honoring what your body is telling you, not being like, wow, I'm really craving mac and cheese. And then be like, well, I guess I'm going to have a salad. Like no, (laughs) you eat the mac and cheese and you honor what your body's telling you over and over and over again, because you'll slowly learn that you can trust yourself to make those decisions. Yeah, I think there's been a big shift in some circles. Um, So you and I probably run in some of the same circles, like holistic healing and intuitive eating. And there's even a big search in like intuitive business coaches and intuitive relationship coaches. And I'm just like, people are coming home. And I'm just like, this is the most wonderful incarnation, like next step. And like when you hate yourself, like you're never home. Yeah. You're never home because your body doesn't feel safe. And so if you don't, what's like the way to put this? Like if you don't think you're worth shit, you're not going to treat yourself well. Yeah. 100%. And I think that, I mean, that is a lot of the work that I do is, you know, there's a lot of different terms out there for kind of the work that I do. It's like, body positivity or body confidence or body acceptance. And I really, you know, I I call myself a body confidence coach because Mm -hmm. ultimately that's the goal of what I do. However, that being said, body acceptance is really what I center my work on because body confidence and body positivity oftentimes get misunderstood as I always need to feel positive and confident about my body. But that's not realistic. And so a lot of the work that I do is can we accept our bodies, Mm -hmm. accept them and just have a neutral approach to them as we are now, as we are tomorrow, as we are in a month. Can we Uh, just accept that and honor that and then understand that our body just wants us to have that trust and acceptance toward it. And if we treat it that way, or if we view it that way, we're a lot more likely to actually honor what it needs. Yeah. And if you're constantly projecting hate on your body, guess what that causes? Inflammation. Guess what inflammation does? Hurts. Yeah. Like, makes you retain. Like, you cannot heal a body that's stressed out all the time. And your body's stressed out all the time if you actively hate it. So, like, I love that you say, yeah, body confidence is a wonderful goal, but that's also, it's not realistic all the time. Sometimes you just have to start with, I have a body and it's not the worst body in the world. Yeah. 
And if that's where you start, like, that's where you start. And that's fine. And there may be body parts that people never love. Like, for example, so like you, um, kind of have like a thin-ish frame, right? So like synchronized swimming for people that don't know can be very aesthetic. Yes. Some girls are naturally built for that. I was not. (laughs) I'm probably more suited to be like a gymnast or a power lifter. So that was really hard. Like I have always had to buy wide cap boots. I am part of the Thunder Thighs Club. And it took me really being like, I have legs. And they are strong legs. Like very, very caveman like I have legs, they are strong, I can hold more puppies on my lap. If I drop my phone on the toilet, my thighs catch it. Like, some days that's the only thing I like about my legs. They're strong and I can hold more puppies. Like, but some days that's more realistic. Yes, 100%. And and that's, yeah, a lot of, you know, I, when I work with my clients on starting to change thought patterns as we come to, you know, the goal is always, the first goal is always, can I feel neutral towards my body, towards food, towards my exercise? Like, can I just feel neutral? Like, there is no emotion around it. It's like, okay, this is the food I want to eat. It's what I'm eating, whether it's a brownie or a carrot or, you know, pasta, like, it's just neutral. It's just food. And this is what I want. And this is what I'm eating or yeah. this is the way my body looks today because I'm PMSing and I'm bloated or I'm feeling really good today. And like, great, going to take it as it is and move on with my life. Yeah. Um, but as we work towards that goal of like neutrality towards food and bodies, it's really important to give yourself the space to have in between thoughts, because I think a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of it is like, you know, fake it till you make it. And just like, I think that that is a whole, like that whole conversation is really problematic because it doesn't give people the space to be like in transition from one thought pattern to another. So what I really work with my clients on is um, like transit thoughts. So instead of saying, I hate my body, not immediately progressing to I love my body because it's like authentic and you're going to know in the back of your mind, this is bullshit. And I don't actually feel this way. I don't love my body. So I try and encourage them to come up with things like I'm learning to accept my body and trying to like, you know, it's like, cause that does feel real. Like if you're doing this work, if you're working with me, and you're learning to love your body, like that is the space you're in. So that can feel real and authentic. And obviously you can use language that works for you. If if something feels more real to you, then you can switch that up. But that's just an example of the things that I encourage my clients to say to themselves, because you can't just go like, okay, I love my body. And it's like, it doesn't matter how many times you say that it's not going to ever ring true if you're not actually doing the work to figure out why you have the emotions you do towards your body. Right. And people progress in steps. Like it's not like you can go from never running to running a marathon. My yeah. dad did once. He's the outlier that should not be counted. Like he went right. from never running to running a half marathon the next day. No. Yeah. Again, don't be like my dad. He's an outlier. But that's not realistic. You have to train. 
right? So yes, 100%. And to add on to that, I think of those thoughts as like shitty backseat drivers. So like intrusive thoughts and, oh, I should know this. Whatever the other word is where thoughts just come, like exist. We cannot control our thoughts. That's not real. We can respond to them in a different way. So just like you're teaching people to be more realistic, to just say a fact, like I'm learning to love my body. I have a body. It allows me to get from point A to point B. My body houses my organs and that is nice. Yeah. Those are lovely transit thoughts. Something I do with my people as well is teach them to just not give them very much attention. Just like, so every time I drive over um, on a bridge, my brain is like, Amanda, drive off this bridge. And like, I could do that. Like that's technically always an option that I have, but I have better things to do than, (laughs) and it has happened since I was 16. So like if I, gave that thought all my attention, I would probably never drive over a bridge because I'd be too stressed out. So now I'm just like, eh, not today. So if someone is like, you are a fat pig, don't ever eat again, you can focus on that. Or you can be like, yeah, fuck you, Hitler brain. Like, eh, get out of here, have a seat. And then just move on with your life. And that way you're also not playing tug of war. Like, I don't want to fight my brain all day. I just want to live my damn life. Yeah. Totally. And I think that that observation is really key. And you can also like name it, you know, it's like, oh, "Oh, hey, diet culture. Nice to see you. Like, Mm -hmm. have a good day. Like, because that's like not what it is. Your thoughts. Right. Those are not your thoughts. Like you did not come out of the womb thinking that way. It is diet culture and it is Mm -hmm. your upbringing, your society, whatever it is. It's it is those things that are conditioning you to think that way and so I think it's really important to be like hey like cool thanks but no thanks not today and you know it's easier said than done obviously it takes a lot of practice and a lot of repetition and even just like another tool that I give my clients is when you are having these thoughts or even if you're not having these thoughts in the moment but like say you crave a food write down what thoughts come up around that, what emotions come up around you eating that food and just like observe it. And once you write it down, you can just like throw it away or leave it in your journal. But like, this is not here, you know, it's on your paper and you don't have to think about it anymore. Yeah. Love that. Dude. Yes. Like, love what you're doing so your program tell me about your your course is it like 10 weeks 12 weeks how do you run it yeah so it's six weeks and it is it's a very comprehensive course we cover a lot of stuff it is like just over 15 hours of content over the course of six weeks so it includes pre-recorded modules where I just um I talk and I use a powerpoint and I kind of educate you on different things like diet culture, health at every size. We cover intuitive eating. We cover social media and how to like kind of filter out all the bullshit on social media. We cover how to set boundaries with people in your life around food and your body. So we have over the course of six weeks, we cover different topics every week with those modules. And then we also have an hour long coaching call with me where we cover any questions people have, 
or, you know, just any challenges that come up because, you know, whether it's on the course content or not, doesn't really matter to me. What matters to me is that I'm supporting these people and whatever challenges they're facing in their lives at that moment. And I think a lot of the course content probably brings up a lot of shit for them. And so as long as I can be there to kind of guide them and give them advice on how to navigate this stuff, that's what's important to me. And then we also do guest coaching calls. So I have a few industry professionals come in and talk to the group. Um, I had a personal trainer come in and talk to them about how to um, find types of movement that you actually enjoy. I had an anti-diet therapist come in and then this week we're having an anti-diet dietitian come in and talk to them as well. So providing them a lot of different perspectives on how to do all of these things. I'm also probably going to be getting t-shirts made. So I'm really excited about that. Um, Yeah. So it's just been like, it's been such an amazing learning process. I'm learning so much about myself and also just being, being able to be here for these people uh, is just so amazing. And one thing that I'm also really excited about with this next round of my course is that $50 of each, um, course registration is going, going to be donated to a nonprofit called project heal, which is, um, it's a nonprofit that works to lower the barriers, whether it's financial insurance, anything like that, um, lower the barriers to eating disorder treatment for underprivileged communities so I'm super excited to like be giving back as well as a part of my as a part of my course it's really important to me so dude that is that's amazing actually like I don't have another word for it like that sounds so aligned and so yeah fuck yeah yeah. good for you like that's so comprehensive too so you're not just like how to love your body it's like a whole paradigm shift 100% and that's like that's what I'm trying to do you know it's like one person at a time and I just think you know it's I think it's really easy for us as business owners and service providers it's really easy to get in our own heads about who am I to be doing Mm -hmm. who am I to be working with these people (laughs) you know you have that whole conversation but then I just really have to bring myself back to if I don't do it, then who is going to? Yeah. Because there are people out there that are doing this work and I'm not discounting that by any stretch of the imagination, but we need so many more people doing this work. Yes. Very abundance of you. Yeah. (laughs) And it's not about us. Like who gives a shit who we are, right? Like I had that with the podcast. I was like, nobody's going to listen to me. Everyone hates it. It's just going to be my mom. (laughs) (laughs) Not my mom listening. Um, but like, it's not about me. Like people need to know what you're doing. People need to know what the other people I'm interviewing, like it's not about us. And that helps, I think, take some of the pressure away too. Cause like, I'm just a vehicle, like, um, we're almost at time. So what is something that you want to leave people with? (laughs) Uh, well, I think really what I want to leave people with is that, you know, if you're struggling with food or with your body or with anything like that, if you just don't feel happy with who you are right now, just know that even though it may seem impossible, like your life can look different and it doesn't have to be this way. And I think 
what my business really comes down to. And the reason I started it in the first place is that I just really fundamentally believe that people can live a life free of dieting and restriction. And I think that it's hard to see it when you haven't lived that, but I can tell you right now, you may have your doubts, but it can happen. It's real. And yeah. <laughs> ah, I'm so proud of you too. And I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank love you so much for having me. I you. love you. Yeah, no, someone, people are going to hear this and be like, Oh my God, she's so dope. <laughs> yes. 100%. Um, I'm going to stop the recording. Okay. Meow. Stop recording. All right, y'all. I told you that she is a force. Now go ahead and tell me what you think of the episode on the review at Apple Podcasts. Or go ahead and put a comment under the Instagram post at Amanda underscore chills. Now y'all have a beautiful day.